Amen. In your Bibles, John chapter number 19, the book of John chapter 19. It's good to see all of you folks here today. I trust that you come to hear from the Lord. You say, well, you're not the Lord. Boy, you got that right. But I have a word from the Lord, and it is his word. Thank God for the Bible. Amen. Well, I made a plea the other night for some women who would sing bass in the choir. And boy, we had a bunch of guys show up. Now we need some men who will sing soprano. (laughs) All right. Well, it's all right to have a little fun. Boy, we had a lot of a lot of candy given away last night. I know that every dentist in the world will be pleased with what we did last evening. I, uh, my son-in-law and daughter was nicked. I brought the car down, and let them have their trunk and their their treat in our trunk. So um, Craig was just about out of candy. And he says, I hope I hurry and get rid of this so I'll be done. Somebody came by and tried to give him some. <laughs> he said, no, I don't want any more candy. But it's, we had a great time. Passed out a lot of gospel tracts. And uh, we tried to be uh, kind and a service to our neighborhood. And I hope that if you were not here, you'll be here next year. To uh, celebrate, what do we call it? Fall Fest. Actually, it's a camouflage Halloween deal. Because we don't believe in witches and goblins and goobs and all that kind of stuff. We believe in pumpkins that looks like people. <laughs> we believe in putting our kids in pumpkins to make them look like pumpkin people. We don't believe in Halloween. We just believe in all other stuff. (laughs) But why Christianity is special. Folks, I am so glad I'm saved. I'm glad that somebody loved me when I was unlovable. And died for me and took my death on Calvary's cross. And for about a year and a half or so, I've been preaching through the book of John. And we've arrived now. A place called Calvary, we begin reading in verse 16, if we would please. And uh, just to whet your appetite a little bit, you got your place there. Let me read for you the text for tonight's sermon. Verse 31. And the Jews, therefore, Because it was of the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day. For the Sabbath day was a high day. Besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. The next day is the Sabbath day. And that's why every religionist in the world thinks that Jesus had to be crucified on Friday because they had to take him off the cross before the Sabbath day, which is Saturday. 
But I have a problem with getting three days and three nights in that. I can tell by your face you are having problems too. Well, tonight, as Roger does his thing, no, it's Tony, ain't it? (laughs) We'll be doing Jesus' thing right here. But we'll hurry. Uh, Is there anything going on at the uh, racetrack this weekend? Is there? We got some folks gone. I'm just wondering. Surely they didn't miss this morning getting ready for the night's football game. Verse 16. You say, uh, are you going to tell anybody you made mention of that? I hope you do. Because I'd hate to waste that opportunity. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him, On either side, one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew... Greek and Latin, and said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but write that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. The only time that guy ever showed any backbone was right there. He was a politician at its highest. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam woven from top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rent it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted My raiment among them, and my vesture did they cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. Mary must have been a pretty popular name for women in those days. whole crowd was named Mary. Then Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved. He saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to his disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing all things were now accomplished, 
that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was a set of vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. It is finished. Probably one of the most difficult accomplishments among humankind is finishing. When I go to a home to visit and every door in the house is closed except the one in the living room, I assume that the other rooms are not clean. Either that or they're proud of their doors. I drive by many houses and half of the yard is mowed. I assume that the lawnmower broke down. I see many cars upon jacks. Probably we are real good at starting. And I know it's easy to point at everybody else, especially your wife, fellas. If you go to the sink, more than likely, there might be a dish or two. Some of the dishes might even be growing. (laughs) If you were to go to most refrigerators, there would probably be leftovers. That has been left over and left over. And are still left and over. We are absolutely wonderful starters, are we not? In college, we start courses that we drop before we finish them. I just wonder, has there been any diets dropped lately? Diets abandoned because of several and sundry reasons. That falls under the category of medical or me. Always a good reason for not finishing. It's just that we're great starters. And poor finishers. We say until death do us part. But we really mean until I want to part. People used to get married to stay married. Now they just get married. And married. And married and married and married and married. It's because we don't like the difficulty of finishing. And sometimes finishing is 
difficult. There are many today who are nurturing a cold faith. Who when they got saved a few years ago, they were aflame and on fire for God. They couldn't wait till they bought their first King James Bible. They couldn't wait until they delved deeply into the things of God. But now they'll run from anything that is spiritual and cannot wait till the next ball game to miss the next church service. And three services are not essential a week to stay as spiritual as you want to be. But it takes three to keep you as spiritual as you ought to be. It's just that we're real good starters and poor finishers. You say, preacher, I didn't come for that. It was not too long ago that people went to work and stayed on the job for several years. But now we have become job hoppers looking for a better deal, an easier goal, a faster trip to the top. And in our attempt, we just become hoppers. I just, the words, it is finished, just spoke vast words to me. We just have to look about the house to find unfinished tasks. And as I was jotting that down this morning, I started looking over at my house and out at the ranch and in my life at the unfinished. I I used to think I was a finisher until this morning. Uh, My weed eater's broke. That's why you need a machete to get my driveway. (laughs) Amen. It was starting to drizzle. That's why the pump house at the ranch has 10, 8 foot long on a 4 foot box. Is there anything in your life that has gone... Unfinished? Thank God there's nothing in God's life that ever has gone unfinished. Genesis 2, the Bible said, And so heaven and earth was finished. And God sat down and rested on the seventh day. There is no such thing in the mind of God or in the character of God or the person of God that has never been finished. God did not halfway provide for us a way to heaven. God went all the way. Even in the midst and the face of difficulty, mockery, shame, He went all the way. Sometimes finishing is difficult. 
Moses learned the difficulty of finishing a job when God gave him the job of finishing the tabernacle in the wilderness. What a magnificent Ephesus made of canvas and curtains and wood in the desert yonder. Details beyond description, you'll find them in the Old Testament. You'll find colors beyond imagination, materials gathered from here and yon. Moses is given the responsibility of getting every one of it exactly, minutely correct. And I would say that would be difficult. And in Exodus, the Bible said, and the tabernacle was finished. In the light of difficulty and in the heart of fear and in the heart of sorrow and complaining, Moses learned the lesson of finishing the job. Nehemiah fought discouragement, problems, fears, and doubt, and much opposition as he built the walls around Jerusalem and, and Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and all of the, the Palestinians tried to snuff out the job and keep it from completion. But the Bible said, and the walls were finished in a certain month. Hey, it does not do any harm to finish and do something right. Someone has aptly said that uh, according to the laws of aviation, I know nothing about it. I'm just glad the things get off the ground when I get on it and it gets back down when I want to get off it. You know, can I please, I got some quirks, one or two. You get off an airplane and somebody says, did you have a good flight? If I'm on the ground and I got back, don't ask me. It was good. Huh? You say, was it bumpy? All that is is just air. Good flight. Did you know according to the laws of aviation, it is impossible for a bumblebee to fly? But somebody forgot to tell that booger he couldn't. He flies eight miles an hour. You know, someone has said, the man who says it can't be done is often run over by the guy that's doing it. So quit making excuse about you can't finish the job. You can finish the job. Paul on his deathbed, bless your heart, an old man, wretched and hurting and pain-ridden, he, on his deathbed, he, lo- he wrote, I have finished my course. Hey, it'll be okay to just finish. Amen. And our Lord said, I have finished. It's done. It's over. It is finished. Notice he did not say, I am finished. You notice he did not say, I am done. You notice he did not say, this is the end of me. Throw me in a hole someplace and forget about it. He said, it is finished, not I am finished. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that means something to me. It is finished. Three English words, one Greek word. Three English words, it is finished. Telestai 
One Greek word means it's finished. Used in a lot of areas in the day of our Lord. Tetelestai was used by an artist. When he had completely finished the painting and finished whatever he was doing, and he looked back at it and it was all done and nothing else left to do, he said, Telestai, it's finished. A merchant used the word Telestai when he said, he stamped on the bill to the guy who owed the bill, paid in full, finished. Mathematical a term. It meant it's paid Absolutely in full. Hanging on the cross. Our Lord said. Tetelestai. Done. It is finished. It will never, never need finishing again. It is done. (laughs) Thank God it's finished. Jesus didn't come to heal folks from corns on their toes. He didn't come to turn water to wine. He did not come to show off walking on the sea. He came to finish redemption's plan. And on the cross, he said, it's finished. And he gave up the ghost. No one took his life. He gave his life. Man, I'm so glad of that. Max Lucado writes, the history-long plan of redeeming man is finished. The message of God to man was finished. The work done by Jesus as a man on the earth was finished. The task of selecting and training ambassadors was finished. The job is finished. The song has been sung. The blood has been poured. The sacrifice has been made. The sting of death has been removed. It is over. It's done. It's finished. Thank God for that. Some things that Jesus finished for us. I've jotted them down. You say why? So I don't forget them. Somebody said you preach with notes. Nope. I just preach all around them. Jesus completely satisfied the law. And when Jesus said it is finished, he completed our redemption. Do you know what redemption is all about? I just thought to redeem means to buy back or to get back. In the Garden of Eden, the devil seemingly won the battle and God lost mankind. God can no longer fellowship with us. Man and God has been separated because of sin. And uh, it seems as though that uh, sin has uh, got us off track a little bit. And God needs to buy us back. Pay sin's debt. Pay what we owe. And that's what Jesus did at Calvary. He paid sin's debt. The wages of sin is death. Either you're going to have to die for your sins or you're going to have to allow God to die for you in your place for your sin. You either stand and pay for them yourself or you allow God to pay for them. And at Calvary, Jesus said, I 
have telestied. I have paid sin's debt. Paid in full. You can't do anything to add to it. You can't say any prayers to add to it. You can't do penance to add to it. You can't walk around on your knees and bloody your knees and paying for it. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin left its crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. To redeem means to buy back. To redeem, it means to pay off a debt or a mortgage. It means to deliver. And so here at Calvary, Jesus completed our redemption. Galatians 3 and verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Do you understand that? Being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Anyone who was crucified was accursed from society. And Jesus said, I will willingly take your curse and hang it on my life so that you might be free. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. The problem of redemption was, now listen, how do we find a way by which a holy God could be just and at the same time be the justifier of the ungodly. If I am ungodly and I'm unsaved, I have a debt to pay. And that payment can only be through death. How can a holy, just God, who's done nothing wrong, nothing amiss, how can he justify me who am lost and undone. And yet, he remains separated from that in justifying me. That's the problem with redemption. How does a holy God, how does a holy God redeem And still remain just. And at the same time, justify the ungodly. How does he do that? Through the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross solves a problem. When the Lamb of God from heaven cried, it's finished. The provision for redemption and reconciliation was made absolutely complete. Now listen, sin dug a gulf in our relationship with God and the cross bridged it. How does a holy God who is separated from sin and an ungodly man have any kind of relationship? Sin cannot enter into the presence of holiness. Holiness cannot enter into the presence of sinfulness. Sinful man and a holy God is separated because of the bridge and the chasm of sin. How does God bridge the gap between holiness and sinfulness? It's like pouring black paint on white. 
You have neither white nor black, but gray. And that's what society has become. Amen. And we think that's good enough. If we can mix a little bit of Sundayitis with our worldliness, dear God, we just got gray Christianity all wrapped up. But you have not bridged a gap. There's still a chasm between you and God. Because God's not coming down to your gray lifestyle. God is holy. Can you hear me now? How do we bridge this tremendous gap between ungodliness and godliness, sinfulness and holiness? Well, do you believe that Jesus Christ was God? Come on now, talk to me. Do you believe that Jesus Christ was God? Do you believe that Jesus Christ was man? Now, don't try to explain that. If you can't explain a bumblebee, you don't need to talk about that. You just got to believe that. I can't explain it. But I do know this, that on the cross was hanging not only God, but man. Is that right? Would it be all right then if I assumed to bridge this chasm between holiness and sinfulness that Jesus Christ could take the man hand and reach down and take our hand without Absolutely blowing this sinful sucker to smithereens because of the holiness of God. He's holding a man's hand. And then the God part of Jesus could reach up with God's hand and take a hold of God's hand. That's why the song says, Oh, What a mighty gulf God did span. Jesus' man hand grabbed a hold of Brother Santos and opened the way to a sinful man, to a holy God. It's finished. It's done. And it will always remain done. Because when God does something, he does it complete. It is finished for as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot and without blemish. Amen, buddy. Took more than blood of bull and goats to save this wicked sinner. It took the blood of Jesus Christ, God's perfect lamb. Complete. Are you glad it's finished? Don't you wish I was? (laughs) 
Ten guys said amen under their breath. Yes, he completed redemption. He completed regeneration. You say, now preacher, uh, what are you talking about? Regeneration means to restore, renew, or rebirth. Restore, renew, or rebirth. You hath he quickened who was made, who was dead in trespasses and sin. You've had a dead battery in your car? Hmm? I think I've had batteryitis lately. One thing about having a lot of junk is you got a lot of batteries to go dead. <laughs> Big D Otto says, are you back? <laughs> I'd like to say it was of the same battery. You know, a lot of... A lot of people I know <coughs> act like they need a recharging. A renewing. A restoring, if you please. And when Jesus said, it's finished, <coughs> he was talking about a complete regeneration. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25 says, Wherefore he is able, does any of you folk believe he's able? He is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Uttermost. That means there's no more left after the uttermost. That means when you come to Christ to be saved, He completely regenerates you to the uttermost. He reborns, He rebirths you, He restores you, He renews you to the uttermost. In fact, John 1 talks about being born into His family. Born into the family of God to as many as receive Him. To them gave Him the power to become what? The sons of God. Uh, when Jesus Christ said it's finished, that meant he's done all that he's going to do to get you reborn, rebirthed, regenerated, renewed, restored. And he says in John 10 and 28, I give unto them eternal life. I wonder why we think that means I give unto them 10 days of life or a hundred days of life or maybe 22 years of life. And the first time you do something wrong, he takes it back. Did he mean it's finished or did he just mean it's almost done? Did he do everything God sent him to do? The Bible said, I have finished the work thou hast sent me to do. John 17. I have finished the work thou hast sent me to do. On the cross, it's finished. Does that mean it's finished? Or still, there's something left for you to do. I'm glad I have eternal life. Eternal life. 
Now, some of us don't look like we got life. Some of us look like we got eternal death. It looked like we are bearing it, not enjoying it. Enduring it, not enjoying it. But besides the point, Jesus said, I've done all I can do, all I'm going to do. And I have completely satisfied God in the matter of redemption and regeneration. Thirdly, he completed revelation. Why did Jesus come to begin with? Have you read your Bible lately? Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter number 1. And I'll read for you verse 1 and 2 and 3 maybe. And uh, uh, I wonder what he was saying on the cross when he said it's finished. He said... In Hebrews 1 and verse 1, God, who in sundry times, or that meant a lot of different times, from creation's morn until A.D. 64 when this was written approximately. God, who in sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. Now, in the Old Testament... Can I help you a little bit? In the Old Testament, God spoke to his people in different ways. He spoke to his people in dreams. I hope he's not speaking to me in dreams. Because the ones I'm having, not very godly. Now don't let your sorry, filthy mind go south on me. He spoke to the old timers in visions. Most of the time when we have visions today, it's because we ate too many anchovies before we went to bed. Not from God. Spoke to them by the prophets, by angels, by nature. Remember Elisha looking for God in the whirlwind, looking for God in the earthquake, looking for God. Folk found God. God revealed himself in different fashions in times past. He even used animals, remember? Balaam. You say, go ahead and say it. Donkey. Peter and his what? Rooster. My wife's got two roosters. I think they're speaking in tongues. Suckers pray at three o'clock in the morning. I'm going to go out there and show them a big picture of a sunrise. You're early. Huh? Verse two. Hath in these last days spoken unto us. How? By his Son. Yeah. Whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. How did he speak to us through his Son? Verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory 
and the express image of his person. A picture is not the person. A picture is the express image of the person. All you ever are going to know about God, you'll find in the person of the one hanging on the cross. He said, I have given this world an exact image of your glory and your person. I have, I have expressed you. I have given them a picture of God. Colossians 1 and verse number 15, who is the image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ is the revelation of God on this earth. Colossians chapter 119. It pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. Colossians 2 and 9. In Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Look at Calvary. Listen. He said, all you need to know about God, you'll see in me. It's finished. Is there anybody here? It's finished. He's revealed himself through his son. And through his word. You say, well, preacher, I I saw a vision last night. Cut down on the pizza. A little bit of Bible knowledge unsuits you for a whole lot of dumb preaching. I want you to know that. And I'd like to read for you out of the book of 1 Corinthians, I think it is. And verse... Chapter 13 and verse 8. I'm done. I'm not even going to do the next part. I just want to show you this. Jesus said it's complete. Redemption, regeneration, revelation. How do I get to know God? First first Corinthians chapter 13 verse 8. Look at it please and we'll, we'll close. I don't know why. Cowboys don't kick off till what time? Tonight, I think. And I think maybe we'll have to wait till next year on the World Series. You say, I'm mad at you. Look at verse 8. Charity never faileth. (laughs) Got that? But whether there be prophecies... They shall fail. Whether they be tongues, they shall what? Well. 
Whether there be knowledge, it shall, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. That's written about A.D. 59. So in A.D. 59, they did not have the Bible. A.D. 59, the references to spiritual gifts. Those spiritual gifts enable people to do supernatural things which testified of a supernatural God. And in A.D. 59, all they had to prove they were from God was their spiritual ability. We know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come. Now I wonder what that would be. Couldn't be Jesus because he already been here. But when that which is perfect is come. Know anything that's perfect except this? But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part will be done away. Tongues will cease. Prophecies will fail. Knowledge will go by the way of the wayside because we don't need that anymore. We have that which is perfect. Now, we look through a glass darkly, A.D. 59. Paul said, we're looking through a glass darkly. Oh, we can see images, but we can't see really facts and figures and minute details. We're looking through a glass darkly. But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part will be done away. Then we will see face to face. We will see as it really is. It's finished. Redemption is finished. Regeneration is finished. Revelation is finished. Don't come to me and tell me about the vision you saw last night. Because you will not like my response. I told you about years ago about sitting in a barber's chair and the barber telling me about them going to a demon casting out party and said, last night I got the, glut, the demon of gluttony cast out of me. I said, you know, you could have sewn your lips together and done the same thing. There ain't no demon of gluttony, man. You're just an overeating gluttoner. That's all you are. You graze too long at the salad bar. Your lips are working overtime. You don't have no demon of gluttony, bless God. Can you say amen? Yeah. You say, well, you don't have a problem with that area. Well, I ain't preaching on my problems. I'd be stupid. I like preaching on yours. Leave mine alone. It's finished. That's what he said. Now we ain't good at finishing, but God's good at finishing. We're good at starting, but God's good 
but finish it. Complete redemption, regeneration, revelation, and complete repentance. The Bible said God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men can't slackness. But is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now here's the problem. God is finished, but you're not. God finished his part. Our part is repentance. Jesus said, except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. Amen? Here's the rub. Here's the unfinished part. The unfinished part is our part. And that's repentance. Repentance. Repentance is filling regret so deeply that it moves us to turn from our action or our attitude. Repentance is going down the road this way and all of a sudden you repent and start down the road the other way. And Jesus said, Except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. To the unbeliever, no repentance, no salvation. No repentance, no eternal life. No repentance, hell and all of its torment. To the saint of God, no repentance, no power with God. No provision from God. No protection from God. And no joy with God. It's finished. He's done all he's going to do. Now it's up to you. And except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish.